I heard about your new film and how the critics really loved it Including yourself but that you really do a good effect All your dreams have come true I heard you bought a house in Martin E Because you couldn't stand the smell of all the suitors of fist of creeps And that you really do a good effect You're looking thin I'm so happy for you I'm recording. It's uh, it's Jason and Todd, Talk Through Lousy Films. I'm Jason. I'm Todd. This is our 100th episode. I got you nothing. I didn't get you anything either. Thank God. <laughs> I was kind of worried about it this morning. <laughs> but I have $118 to last me through Christmas, so I'm sorry you didn't get anything no, for, don't our, worry about for our 100th anniversary. Uh, we... Uh, we uh, selected a kind of mediocre movie. I'm sorry this time. It's it's not, uh, uh, I, in my opinion, a tremendous classic of the shit movie genre, but it does have a big surprise. It, ha- it ha- does have... <laughs> That's something uh, about, about three quarters of the way through it, you go, oh! I had this oh moment. That's why I'm watching this. Look at that. <laughs> and I fast-forwarded through it so that, uh, so that I didn't have to watch all the bullshit, but... Uh, but I had seen in the credits at some point. I looked at it again and said, "Why am I watching this?" And I went back and, and saw uh, Stephen First is in the credits. And then I slowly realized Stephen First must be the thing in the basement. This is a thing in the basement movie. Yeah, uh, I prefer other thing in the basement movies as movies. I can say I think that uh, the producer's note sound was dropped here. The movie that Jason is referencing is called The Beast. Within that, that's a kind of a rapey movie, isn't it? Yeah, rapey guy turns into a cicada and rapes women. Movie. Uh, the the real uh, <laughs> virtue of it is that it gets out of the basement fairly early, whereas the unseen uh, never gets out of the basement. Right. The unseen stays in the basement uh, uh, where it is finally seen, destroying all the reasons. Oh, we just started the movie. If you're if you're tapping down, if you're going to count yeah. down with us, uh, the movie started. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, we didn't do countdown. You can catch this up. This is but, not a virtual one. We're, it's old school. Oh, that's We right. didn't do that. In, yeah, but they uh, could still, uh, you know, uh, sync their shit with us and, well, and listen to us. That's true. Grave that's while true. They watch well, if they scene. want to do that, all they need to do is rewind a little bit, pause it, <laughs> get your movie thing, and then start it together. You're asking of our listeners something that Jason couldn't do on his own. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair, Todd. <laughs> I don't know if either. I mean, uh, uh, it's not your fault, but uh, having me as a partner, you're obligated to set a pretty low bar <laughs> and at this point i gotta say now what's interesting is one of the first things we see in this movie is uh is a weird sort of statue that's carved in the likeness of stephen first but we don't we don't we don't quite know that yet because we don't see him for like an hour yeah it point. just looks like a upset buddha kind of looks like does it remind you of those uh, pre-columbian uh, statues where everybody's kind of rounded Oh, uh, yeah, those, yeah, uh, sure. People Something those. you'd see in a Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, here we are in uh, not a Mel Gibson movie. Was I correct? Is this a, uh, by that friend of yours, uh, is this a, uh, well, it's going to say in the credits pretty soon, Jason, you didn't time that quite right, so you could pretend like you knew his name. The guy, the guy who made this? 
the, the director? Is it not uh, one of our favorites? I can't remember. Uh, I don't know. Wait, it's about. To I know it's it's coming now. Barbara Bach. Let's get this out of the way. I don't know who the fuck she is. I've seen her in a dozen things. She's been in Bond movies, right? Was she like a model or something? Yeah. Did she marry Ringo Starr, or is that a different one? I don't know. Is that a different statuesque brunette, maybe uh, supermodel? But yeah, I feel like she must have been a. She must have been a, a, a model at some point. She's striking looking, and she can't act. So usually when there's an actor with a career of any sort who's striking looking but can't act, I think probably they were a model. Now here's a guy doing uh, really hard sit-ups uh, uh, with his uh, leg weights. That's well. uh, Howie from The Fall Guy. Oh, my God! The Fall Guy reference. I, don't, I think that's probably the first that we've ever had. <laughs> I was thinking of him the other day because I watched uh, Hooper with oh, Burt, yeah. Burt Reynolds, which yeah. I always figured was kind of kind of an inspiration for the Fall Guy. Sure, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Show, even though uh, Hooper didn't solve any mysteries. No. As I recall. No. But he did hang around with Sally Fields in those, those cheek shorts, which is just as good as having the uh, the Landers sisters scrubbing your truck or whatever they did for him in, <laughs> in that TV show. Well, what about Heather Thomas? Heather Thomas was in that show. It wasn't the Judy Landers. In The Fall Guy? Yeah. No, it's Heather Thomas. What was Judy Landers in? I don't know. I know her because Judy and Audrey Landers did a Playboy thing. You know, they're sisters, but they did a, a feather kind of motif uh, uh, covering their, their most private parts. But a sister act in the middle of a Playboy sometime in the 80s. And I said, ah, I like... Audrey better, and she didn't have a career. Judy got the career. I thought she was on The Fall Guy. She was on some show like that, I promise. I, I don't doubt it. So we don't get any dialogue in the beginning, but we see uh, Howie doing uh, some, uh, uh, some work on his obviously injured thigh. He's coming back from some sort of injury. Barbara Bach walks in and looks at him and doesn't say anything, and then walks out and uh, Peter gets in her car and goes to work. Not the guy I was thinking of. Graydon uh, Clark, I, th- I thought, is who did oh, this. Oh, that's the, the, that's uh, the name uh, I was the, thinking uh, of. Uninvited guy? Yes. <clears throat> uninvited, unseen. This, does, this know, definitely felt, has that right? uh, feel. It does. And uh, I didn't research much about this. Uh, the, the prime actor in this is Sidney Lassick, who uh, plays kind of the caretaker uh, of the unseen yeah, he's that he's that bastard and alligator who dumps yes. the toxic waste and it, it, shit. Toxic waste puppies, right? The toxic he, puppies, toxic puppies into the alligator uh, stomach, and and he's also, of course, uh, famous for uh, retaining his job as a truck yard dispatcher throughout his career. Huh? Apparently, because even after uh, he was featured in uh, the multiple award winning. Uh, Jack Nicholson movie about being crazy or pretending you're crazy and then turning crazy in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh-huh. Sydney's featured in that. And even after that, he couldn't get a job for a while. His jobs were sparse uh, uh, until the 80s. And so he kept his, he always kept his job <laughs> dispatching trucks because you never know when an actor's not going to have a career. And if you look like Sidney Lassick, yeah, as it's... opposed to Barbara Bach, and yet even Barbara Bach today, I don't know what she's doing. But I haven't really paid attention. She's probably got a much better career than Sydney Lassie. I do love that this whole thing is set around Solvang <laughs> and Bulton. It's a very special part of the Central Coast. Yeah. And it's eerie there. It really is. Because these old smuggler areas uh-huh. are inherently eerie and kind of creepy. Uh, and and Bulton has the whole, what is it, Dutch or whatever? 
That, I thought that was Solvang. Sol- oh, so is that Solvang? Is, is like a themed uh, neighborhood or, or town where people go to have their family reunions because they have some. It's it's like going to Disneyland or something. It's like a theme park in a town. Everything is like old Dutch or old German. Or yeah, like yeah. Some kind of. But that's thing. where uh, P. Soup Andersons was. Bulton, yeah. At Bulton and Santanella. But they're right next to each other, Bulton and Solvang, right? Uh, I believe uh, pretty close, yeah. Yeah. Because all that Central Coast stuff looks exactly like Pismo Beach looks like that. And uh, Arroyo Grande uh, is the inland version. Yeah. But yeah, I had a girlfriend in, in college whose family, uh, it was extended family, like aunts and uncles, uh, grandparents from all over the world, would gather once a year in Solvang and have this two-week kind of kind of crazy time this wild <laughs> wild party and they were they were uh, a two week long party yeah it was it was it was a long time it was a week or two weeks i feel like it was two weeks it was a big deal i mean people they they pulled up stakes from wherever they were some of them are from scotland some of them are emigres like my girlfriend's parents uh lived in california a lot of people from canada big mm-hmm. contingents of, of roughly former scotsmen would come down with their families from from Canada and some from Europe and all over uh, the states, and they would gather in Solvang and do silly family things, you know. Uh, and it was uh, golf. For the men, it was arranged around golf, and for the women, I guess it was largely arranged around the meals, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was one of those. Mm-hmm. So uh, I declined the opportunity to go one year, and I got to house sit. Well, dog sit. I didn't house sit. The dog, for my girlfriend's parents, it was a Boston Terrier. If I've told this story before, please interrupt me. No, I'll let you know. Uh, the dog, the last time they left it alone in the house for any period of time, it dug a hole in their blankets, their sheets, their comforter, their mattress, and pissed and shit in it. <laughs> so when they came home, they said, okay, so we don't leave the dog alone anymore. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I thought uh, they were going to be disappointed when I said, you know, I don't golf. I, I love your family. I would love to meet more of your family. Maybe I could come down for a visit or something, but I'm, I'm not going down to Solvang for two weeks right now. I got college, whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. Drugs I have to take, whatever. I, I, can't, I can't do it. Sorry. And immediately her parents said, would you watch the dog? If you're not coming, maybe you'd like to watch the dog. So I had a Boston Terrier in my backyard for... Uh, about 36 hours, and then, you know, Boston Terriers are springy. Yeah, sure. And we only had seven-foot fences. Oh. And that dog was fucking gone in less than two days. Wow. And I worried about it, and I did the thing where you, I literally went to the pound one time. I should have gone every day right. and found a fucking Boston Terrier, because they all look alike. Right. Uh, I never found a Boston Terrier the one time that I went, and so I just drove up and down the streets. Is uh, trying to find the dog. It's a country club boulevard, so it was it was semi rural out parts of it. You know, uh-huh, I thought, this, uh-huh. this dog could have drowned. It could have been eaten by a hawk. It could have been you know picked up by uh, you know some kind neighbor. It could have been uh, slaughtered for meat. I have no idea <laughs> what happened to this fucking jumping dog. That, <laughs> at least it didn't break into my house and destroy my bed. <laughs> Uh, in, in the rude way that it did uh, to her parents. Uh, but in fact, uh, after the two weeks were almost up, and I'd been talking to her on the phone, yeah, everything's fine. Kirsty's having a great time. She's jumping somewhere right now. <laughs> uh, and it was just about three days before they came home, two or three days. It was a fucking nail-biter. I was very worried. 
I had exhausted the comic possibilities of trying to substitute a dog yeah. for their dog, and I was just waiting for the bad news. And I gotta say, you know, I did due diligence. I locked the fucking dog up with my two dogs, and you know what? My two dogs still here. Yeah, your dog. I'm making up excuses and trying to figure out what the speech is going to be. And the fucking dog shows up in the backyard one day. Really? It's just back. It's just back. <laughs> it's been gone for at least a week at this point. And after that, we kept it in the fucking house. And Terriers, f- man. We fed it, you know, chicken by hand and, and made sure that it was going to be around. And they came back and that dog bounced uh, out of the house and bounced into their RV. And they, they waved and they took it home. And I, I imagine it didn't shit in their bed either that time. We had a fox terrier when I was a kid. What was it like? What's a fox terrier? Uh, is it? It's bigger it's than a Boston a, terrier, right? Yeah, it's, it's like, like a, a medium-sized yeah. dog. But still, uh, those terriers are very, so full of energy. They are. This this one uh, would, you know, we lived in a in a rural uh, kind of suburb of Boston, and the dog would leave for yeah. days yeah. on end. She yeah. would just go. Yeah. Because, you know, we let her out in the backyard and she'd yeah. hang out and then she'd leave. And my mother was friends with this lady who lived on the opposite side of town. Okay. And then, and when we were talking about acres and acres and acres of just wooded, yeah. you know, preserved woods yeah. with nothing, yeah. you know. So she saw her dog in her, like, run through her backyard. She's like, I think I saw your dog running through her backyard. My mother was like, yeah, probably. <laughs> and then she'd always come back. That's a bit. That's the thing about country dogs. We uh, uh, Cisco would disappear. We found him living with the fucking people up the street. Uh-huh. After about six months, my dad's driving to work and he looks over and there's Cisco playing in the yard with some other dogs at somebody's house, about a mile up the road. And he said, "What the fuck?" And they said, "Yeah, uh, he sleeps on the couch and eats potato chips." And my dad said, "No wonder he didn't come home, little fucker." So we dragged him home and then we moved to another town and he disappeared again and never came back. Oh really? Yeah, he just he decided he just wasn't he was it. smarter than us. But those country dogs, my cousins have these. Uh, it's a series of amazing dogs as they were growing up. These giant German shepherds or Saint Bernards or mm-hmm. uh, you know these super smart. They had this super smart beagle at one point that, and these dogs, yeah, they lived in surrounded by grape vineyards, and mm-hmm. so uh, other dogs would show up. Like two dogs would show up. I saw this one. So the two dogs show up and they bark and they're hanging around. They're sniffing the chicken coop and nobody gives a shit, you know, as long as the dogs don't break into the chicken coop, whatever. And then my cousin's dogs would go out there and say, hey, what are you doing, friends? And the friends would say, we're going to go play. And they'd disappear, huh. you know, and run, you know, across highways and roads. Yeah. And they had all these miles of fields to play in and grouse to chase or whatever the fuck dogs do. And then they'd come back home in a day or two like nothing's wrong and Say, you know, pet me. Yeah. And in the city, you don't, you know. Now. Yeah, they don't you, leave. You, you, the further south and east that you go in Los Angeles, the more you see dogs living like that. That there are these, do- these dogs all over Compton. There's dogs all over. Uh, are they people's dogs or errant dogs? No, these seem to be people's dogs. A lot of them have tags. A lot of them are, are wearing collars. And they run and they tend to be very sm- smallish dogs. And they run wild in the streets. When I used to go down there and buy cocaine, you'd have to make sure and not run over <laughs> some kind of wild dog. And it reminded me of the wild dogs that they have in uh, uh, Eastern Europe that I ran into a lot in Bulgaria. Uh-huh. I was bit by a wild dog at one point. There were wild dogs all over the set. The set had to be cleared of wild dogs before we could shoot some of the scenes <laughs> on location. Every time the bus stopped, 
there was wild dogs waiting outside. Oh, boy. You kind of have to use your <clears throat> luggage to... To, to navigate around knock dogs. them out of your path. <laughs> and uh, just yesterday or the day before, I saw an article about somebody was outraged in, uh, in Croatia because somebody uh, in their neighborhood had shot these two dogs that were clearly tagged and, and marked. Uh, but because that's what something that people do in Eastern Europe is they go around and they shoot the extra dogs that are, that are they travel in packs. Sometimes these packs get up to be 20 or 30 and uh, not all the dogs are real little, you know, and, and so it's kind of a, kind of a pain and the menace over in Bulgaria, Romania, all over the Balkans, these wild dogs are kind of an issue, uh, especially in winter. Uh, so, uh, people shoot them and people still shoot them, uh, uh, it's not just a, a thing that was happening when I was over there, uh, apparently still an issue. And in, in Southern California, I don't hear about packs of wild dogs attacking people, but I do see you know, running around packs of two or three, you know, three or five down there. In, they haven't gotten out of control. Uh, down around Watts, down <clears throat> around, uh, uh, around USC. This, this is uh, around the 20, 21st Street Theater where I used to go. You can see these. And these dogs are competent. They're not causing any trouble. They're looking around. They're checking things out. Right, right. They're, they're doing their business. They're not uh, really causing any fear, worry, menace. No, you know, uh, I, I imagine you don't have to feed them very often because right, they're right. out there taking care of themselves. And it's nice. Well, you know, Los Angeles is so much younger a place compared to mm-hmm. Bulgarian cities. So do you think that this is a step towards the Bulgarian packs of wild dogs? Do you think do you, do you think that p- part of LA is evolving in that direction? Well, these are, these, just- are, uh, these are these <clears throat> are neighborhoods with the wild dogs in, in, that I have noticed uh, in, uh, in Southern California tend to be populated by immigrants from uh, largely from Central and South America uh, and Mexico. And there's you know, just a different culture, different attitude toward what it means to own a pet. Uh, a lot of them feel like chaining up your dog is weird. Yeah, Walk, yeah, walking sure. your dog in an apartment. A lot of these people live in fairly, uh, fairly pokey arrangements. You know, not, right. don't have a lot of room to swing a dog, and uh, to lock up a dog in that, uh, I'm sure to a lot of people seems uh, seems insane to me. Yeah. I've known uh, uh, people who had medium to large dogs in apartments in uh, non-immigrant neighborhoods in America, and I always thought that was kind of weird. Kind of, yeah. You know, you got to let those. Especially a dog. I mean, a cat. Fucking cat. No, a cat's... cat's fine curling up and never going anywhere. But I like the idea of outside cats. I love the idea of outside dogs. And I don't know if it's just because I'm from the country. Maybe it's a rural attitude. It might be. But in, uh... but in the cities, uh, 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 in some of the cities that I've seen that are overrun with, uh, with dogs, uh, it's, not always, it's not always thought of as very cute. It's not always uh, considered uh, non-threatening. I, I mean, I've never had a dog living... Uh... Uh, as an adult, so and the, and that's the big reason because so often I was living in apartments yeah. and I was I just couldn't. It felt weird having a dog in an apartment while I go off to work. Yeah, I don't know. Felt wrong. 
You know what, a cat, who cares? You just put it in the window. That's the advantage of a a small, sedentary object. You know, a cat, (laughs) if a cat wants to run somewhere, uh, generally speaking, it'll run the length of your apartment back and then it'll sit down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go to sleep. Spaz it out for a minute. That's a lot. Yeah. But you see these cats. Uh, My mother is a collector of stray objects, and so she, she and her boyfriend feed these feral animals that live downtown in Stockton. This violent neighborhoods uh, you know <laughs> nobody likes them doing this so oh, this is the old people feeding those fucking cats if only those fucking cats would go away but they live right next to our business and and now uh-huh. these people are giving them food and and uh and yeah these cats pretty sedentary the people who live next to a, a lot full of <laughs> feral cats know those feral cats ain't going anywhere nope very centrally centralized there used to be yeah. a large group of feral cats at this uh diner we went to in north hills um and in the corner is like a you know parking lot yeah. next to the the diner was next to a home depot um and in the corner of the parking lot there was just a buttload of cats but i'm telling you that they were feeding them yeah that's why they were there yeah well it's hard not to you know you see this this animal that wants something you want to help it well they're cute and there would be kittens you know because they're not fixed so they're dumping kittens and it's like oh my my parents do this nice thing which is uh you know if they see one that has uh, kittens they'll trap it and uh get it spayed you know the county will do that usually for free uh spayed or neutered or whatever the fuck you do to a cat oh shit this is a completely naked woman, and uh, nasty Sydney Lassick is looking through a keyhole at her uh, her Mons Veneris and her buttocks and her breasts and nipples. So I feel like we we've really crossed the line here. <laughs> this used to be a movie about some people that work in TV who are going to do a shoot in Solvang, and most of them were attractive young women. In fact, all of them, and so they they all checked into this creepy kind of a bed and breakfast run by Sidney Lassick. But now one of them's naked, and she's being observed by the nasty old man. <sighs> I hate it when that happens. This yeah. is a perfectly boring movie about TV production. And now it's got to be about naked girls being threatened. <laughs> it always comes down to naked girls being threatened it's by It's because of that guy. damn psycho. Yeah, you think? Yeah, all these horror movies, they got to have yeah. peepers. Yeah, because Norman. Norman. Yeah, I guess that was a pretty successful mixture of sex and violence there. Yeah, that, that that psycho, sure from, was from that Hitchcock. Hey, let me ask you a question. You like Mel Brooks? Uh, sure. You like Hitchcock? Uh, sure. Why is hang, high anxiety impossible to watch? Because <laughs> it's not fucking funny at all. How is how is that possible? That this guy, this this director, written with with imitable cliches. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, there's, there's nothing about Hitchcock that you couldn't take and, and turn into a bit. Right. Right. He's just right. he's just he's ripe for it. It's like Christopher Walken talking. Like mm. you want to do something with that, you know? That's that's a creative spark, and uh, and you got you got the guy that came up with the pr- fucking springtime for Hitler, you know? Yeah. This is this is uh, seemingly what can go wrong, right? And yet this is one of the most boring, stupid, trite, <laughs> unfunny. None of the jokes land. I don't, I don't. You don't. You don't feel this way. I don't feel that way. Okay. Anxiety. What's your favorite bit? Because it's on. One of the streaming services that I subscribe to right now, and I keep trying to watch it, and I keep going, "What the fuck?" I mostly like the weird S and M relationship between uh, Harvey Corman and uh, uh, and the lady. Uh, 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 what's her face? Yeah, 
She's, but she's playing the same part that she plays in Young Frankenstein. She's playing the the, the scary house marm, you know. Uh, yeah, she's a little do a, she's a little bit more ridiculous in High Anxiety. Yes, and that's I feel like High Anxiety has no regulator on the taste meter, so it goes all <laughs> the way, all the way in, in a way that uh, that Young Frankenstein and uh, as 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 ebullient as they are, those seventy four movies, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the Blazing Saddles and, and the, the Frankenstein one, those. Those are really reined in. Those are those are. Let's make these good. And I feel like with high anxiety, there was no similar. It, it was you're. I mean, high anxiety not one of Mel Brooks' best. Absolutely not. Uh, and it is a step on the road to Robin Hood Men in Tights. Which uh, it, which is that bad? Because uh, I I avoided it. I have never seen it. Is it funny? Uh, in, in fits and spurts. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of his stuff, which is fine. Yeah, yeah. well, and there's a lot of recycled jokes in Robin Hood Men and Tights, uh, uh, which uh, is a weird thing about Mel Brooks movies. Uh, also a weird thing about Robin Williams movies. Hey, if a joke works, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's In Robin Williams' case, it's because he ad-libs all the time. And he ad-libs so, often the same thing that he ad-libs yeah, some he, other time. He ad-libbed the same joke in Club Paradise as he did in Good Morning Vietnam. Which joke? This is not going to look good on a resume. In oh. both cases, yelling after, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's violently, you know, uh, on the opposition side uh-huh. in Club Paradise uh-huh. is, you know, more delightful, I right. guess. Right. Um, but I always thought that was, uh, that was there weird. There are only so many jokes, you know, and you get into a similar circumstance, and you're the kind of guy who makes up your shit based on the circumstance. You know, you're gonna you're gonna uh, yeah, hit, yeah. hit the same bases uh, a few times, and that's part of the danger of uh, of a movie with a largely improvisational central character, central central performance. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but you know what? Uh, you know how I avoid these things? I don't watch Robin Williams movies. <laughs> I stopped watching Mel Brooks movies. I came so close to watching The Survivors the other day. What's The Survivors? It's uh, Walter Matthau and Robin Williams. Oh, it, does Anne Margaret show up in that one too? I don't. I don't know. Uh, I I don't really remember. I remember seeing it when I was a kid and being disappointed that it wasn't funny. <laughs> Uh, but then I was looking at it the other day. I was like, well, okay. I rewatched Volunteers eventually and to learn again. Oh no, it's yeah. not funny. Yeah, yeah. The setup though, Cary Grant and John Candy going to going to uh, you you know, going, Tom going, Hanks going, going to yeah. But he's playing Cary he's playing Grant Cary at Grant. the beginning. Yeah, and and that's a that's a funny setup, you know. Sure, uh, but that's it. Yeah, so. and it, and it, because it's those two guys. Uh, you keep giving there, it a chance. It, it, there's a level of delightfulness throughout the movie that's not making you laugh. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. One of the things that's wrong with Tom Hanks, I was thinking the other day, is the motherfucker's never made an indie movie. He's never done anything that wasn't for money. You know, he's never he's never pursued the smaller projects when he could. And I hate to say it, but Bruce Willis, who seems to be in, in all human respects not as good a person as tom hanks not as interesting not as uh not as uh clever uh not as careful with his career uh tom hanks will do fun weird little shit all over the place he takes chances willis willis sorry and tom hanks does not uh in that way well i like willis for the last 
10 years has not been taking nope. weird risks. He's no, been he's doing been, every, he's been straight, doing to every video straight to video movie. thing that'll meet his right. quote that he can. I don't Did you see that furniture? The <laughs> this a fu- look it up on Facebook. Furniture? Bruce Willis yeah. put Bruce Willis chair commercial. Okay. And it's literally I he was drunk or something. I, I don't know what's going on. Like All right. Uh, I'm uh, concerned about Bruce Willis's Do you have a pencil? cognizance. Um uh, I don't on me. Good, I can forget it. Uh, so, but but it's so, so he's it, he's does, in. Does he, it look like there's no informed consent in this uh, in this filming? Well, he's it, you know it's like shot like you know someone didn't turn their phone sideways, so you okay. have the, like it's like you're capturing right. like cop brutality. Right, that's the framing. Right, and he's sitting in a doctor's office. Okay, I guess a home office okay. in a chair. And he's talking about how I've been going to this doctor. He's he's a great doctor. He's my favorite doctor. Oh. And this is his chair. He invented this chair. All right, buy this chair. And then he leaves. And he seems lit and confused. Wow. Well, I can't get a signal in your house, so I guess I'm never going to watch it. Uh, all 33, I guess, is the thing he's uh, he's pitching there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, my phone you want does, Wi-Fi? You my can, phone does not like your house. I don't know what's going on. I got my 4G on. It's not happening. Well, hook up oh, to I guess the I'm, Wi-Fi. I'm pressing the wrong button. It's okay. Jason's just slow. Everybody, it's okay. Jason's just a little... You know. Oh, it's the... the What is this? This is the Solvang the Dutch, Parade, the Dutch where, parade where they or celebrate the fact that they stuck their finger in a dike or something. And all these uh, little, all these old houses that look like places... You know what they all look like to me? All those old uh, Tudor uh, houses down in the, in the low countries. They all look like Derwiner schnitzels yeah. to me. So I see them and I go, ah, oh, I want a chili dog. <laughs> but, oh, there he is. Let's see what he has to say. Colinello, the man who made this chair. Wow. I, I want to tell you that you need this chair too because it helps your back. It helps everything. Wow. This chair is wow. you need. This is... See, this just proves my point. Bruce Willis is willing to do weird little shit for friends just on the side. And uh, Tom Hanks says, well, I had to make a deal with Apple so that I could make all the money in the world. And then he made some shitty movies for Apple. Uh, one of the things that... Uh, segue! One of the things that... Segue! One of the things about making weird little movies for friends is that sometimes you invent something beautiful. And, of course, that's not my favorite part. One of my more favorite things about when you make a weird little movie with your friend is when it turns into the identical did you ever see the identical, Todd? The identical. Yeah. No, I never. 2014. Saw it. Um, okay, so here's how this works. The guy who directed it's dad was a talent manager at Motown, uh, and and uh, 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 well, for 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 R and B type people, not at Motown. His dad, the grandpa of the director, was a. Uh, 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 an A and R guy at Motown, and worked with Michael Jackson and uh, mm-hmm. you know, Smokey Robinson and all these people made a shitload of money. The grandson is uh, does this sound familiar? A real estate guy who decided he wanted to make a movie. Uh huh. A L- little bit, little bit Road to Revenge. Here. Little, little Gadavan. Little, little Gadavan. 
uh, I'm feeling. Yeah. And so, so Grandpa mostly, because Grandpa's got the money from all his uh, Michael Jackson uh, uh, affiliations, and uh, they 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 invent this uh, production company called City of Peace. Yeah. Uh, which is the Lachaim sign uh, uh-huh. is, is their logo, huh. and uh, and so okay, so the grandson directs uh, this movie, this this their first movie from the production company. They mostly do Christian music and inspirational music, mm-hmm. and they made this inspirational movie in 2014, and they got Ray Liotta not only to produce it with them. But play an evangelical shout preacher from Tennessee is his role in this movie. Wow. And he's fucking excellent. Really? Ray Liotta. Uh, it, when he came back from doing all those straight-to-video things, you know, for 10 years, and all of a sudden he did the Sopranos thing recently, mm-hmm. and he's so amazingly good in this terrible wasteland of a fucking movie. And, and then I saw this thing. I don't know what he's been doing for the last 10 years, but Ray Liotta turned into one of my favorite actors. Like, he's scary good as this fucking... What's the name of it? The Identical. Wait till you the hear... Identical. The Pitch. Okay. Okay. You know how Elvis had a had a twin that died, you know, at birth? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, what if he didn't? Oh. What if he didn't die? And so they gave away one of the kids... But he's not Elvis. He has some weird, complicated, stupid name. But anyway, uh, they give away one of the kids. They can't feed it. They give it away to this itinerant shout preacher and his wife, played by Ashley Judd. Wow. So Ray Liotta and Ashley Judd are uh, this traveling uh, preacher team. And uh, and they are given the great blessing because they are barren. Mm-hmm. And that's part of their preaching as they talk about how God takes things from us and doesn't allow us to have certain things. Remember Moses. And uh, they get a baby. And the real parents make this grave and say the baby died, but in fact the baby went away to live with these preachers. Ah. Cut to... <laughs> well, the actor playing Elvis in this is 47, and he plays him at, as a 17-year-old as well as playing him as, a, <laughs> as an adult. But anyway, uh, uh, the same guy plays both parts, and he shouldn't have played either one. He's a real game guy. He tries. He's just a terrible, terrible, terrible actor. Uh, so... Uh, Becomes Elvis. Mm-hmm. But the movie mostly focuses on the brother that went off with the preachers, who is basically kind of fucking around, not wanting to go to Bible school. And he keeps going to honky-tonks, and he keeps playing music. Uh, he becomes uh, an Elvis impersonator. It's not Elvis. They keep to, they talk about the pantheon of great artists in this. is like, uh, you know, Carl Perkins and uh, mm-hmm. Elvis and you, Mr. I can't remember his name. And... Uh, and so there's this actual Elvis type character who looks and sounds and, and his voice. Uh, uh, now we come to the most important part. So while the son uh, uh, that went off with the preachers becomes an Elvis impersonator, the, the actual Elvis is uh, just continuing to be Elvis. So we come to the soundtrack. This is a musical. Oh, wow. The music, remember dad and grandpa were kind of in the music business. Uh, uh-huh, grandpa yeah. especially, uh, dad kind of, and, uh, and the son is in real estate. It doesn't matter. This score is built of uh, uh, some blues music by white people, which is real bad. And you notice right in the first shot of the movie, which is Elvis driving through sharecropper fields in a limousine with a big lachaim around his neck, drinking whiskey. Uh-huh. Listening to this blues song by some white guy, that's produced. It's overproduced to an ex- to 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 a level of 1987. 
You know what I'm talking uh-huh. about? He's overproduced to a level of Kenny G, basically. <laughs> There's all that air and all that space and all those chimes, you know, even in the blues stuff. You're like, what the fuck? And, and the movie continues, and every time Elvis sings, it's a song you've never heard before, but it's a song, first of all, it's not an Elvis-type song in any way. It's just... It's like it's the catalog left lying around by, and all the music is by Dad and Grandpa. Oh, my God. Of the director. And so it's all this music that sounds, all of it, from 1987 to about 1990, overproduced, kind of ballads, a little bit R&B. Some of it is more, like, uh, ethereal. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is the weirdest thing, because every time you see Elvis or hear his music in this, and sometimes, clearly, in the movie, it's set, the scene might be set in 1956, 1960, and here's Elvis singing a ballad that Hart might do in 1987. And recorded like that, <laughs> engineered like that, and this goes on for two hours. Oh wow! I mean, there's a lot of songs in this in this movie, and sometimes it's Elvis singing them. Sometimes it's his brother, long lost, that they don't even know about each other, singing uh, a cover of an Elvis song. Sometimes you could hear both of them sing it. It's the same song, same engineering. <laughs> so this goes on for two hours, and then they they uh, he opens the wrong drawer and finds out that he's got a long lost brother uh and uh and then elvis dies in a plane crash and the brother decides i'm not going to be an elvis impersonator anymore i want to do my music but nobody wants to hear it and so he goes on a sort of pilgrimage and meets the biological father finally Mm -hmm. at the big jewish gravesite well of course elvis was a jew at the big at the big Elvis gravesite behind the pauper little sharecropper shack that he was born in, uh, there's his grave, and uh, which uh, and then you know next to it and smaller oddly is the grave of the one that didn't make it. They said you know he did make it. They gave him away, and he comes upon his dad, his biological father, for the first time, kneeling and weeping at the grave. I didn't do enough. Whatever father thing he's saying was his dad Schindler. His dad is uh, what the fucking I always forget his name. Chris Mulkey. Oh, Mulkey plays his fucking dad with these stunning, I think uh, uh, even uh, CG enhanced blue eyes because Chris Mulkey doesn't have blue eyes. He's got these stunning, startling blue eyes for some fucking reason in this movie. It might be cataracts. It might be really, really advanced <laughs> cataracts, but it, but it looks like some kind of a trick for some reason. Because I'm not even... They don't make a big deal about Elvis's eyes. I'm not even sure Elvis has blue eyes in this movie. Uh, it's... Huh. Great, great film. One of the best <laughs> things I have ever seen. It is so consistently rewarding in its weirdness and its wrongness. Every scene is not the scene you would put in the story. Oh, that's the scene where they went for coffee. Oh, that's the scene where he kind of he kind of started humming to himself while he was driving a truck. Oh, this is the scene where he 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 threw away the coffee cup. I mean, it's just full of this fucking random unnecessary footage. Where do you watch this thing? It's free on YouTube right now. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. and I recommend strongly that if. Uh, I don't know. I might force this on you in two months All because right. it's so, so the best bad movie that I've seen in a long time. And I've seen some Ryan Reynolds movies recently. But this, this was astonishingly good. So, so satisfying. Not a clip, not a, not a snippet, not a shot in this movie is correct. 
<laughs> Everything makes you go, ah, what? Whether it's the presence of Ray Liotta, and Ray Liotta gets to do several preacher moments in this. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, you know how scary you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. he can be and stuff and threatening. Uh, when he's doing it for God, uh, it's a reckoning. And he kind of doesn't sound like he's from Brooklyn sometimes. He kind of doesn't sound like that. He's acting. It's weird to huh. see the stuff that's in this movie because a lot of it seems... You would never think that up. You would never consider. Somehow they said, Hey, Ray Liotta, we got a part for you. And he's like, A shout preacher. I never played a shout preacher. He's from Tennessee, huh? Oh. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go down there and shout some preaching. And he, and he does a great job. Most of his preaching is about how Jesus was a Jew. Jews are people too. We got there's an extended section where he, he preaches about how we have to pray for the Jews in Israel during the seven day war, the six day war in 1967, because this is a great moment for Jews, and they miraculously uh, they don't mention that it was with the help of the U.S. Air Force. Uh, they miraculously defeat you know the Arab nation surrounding them. Jordan says, "I'm not going to fight with Israel anymore." It's a miracle. And at the end of the movie, when Jesus, uh, sorry, when Elvis, uh, well, the Elvis impersonator son, comes to the grave and bonds with his biological father, that moment is about how Jews and Christians, and I swear to God, this is not me making it up, it's the dialogue, it's the scenario, it's the imagery, this moment is about a reconciliation between Christians and Jews, and how we're all moving forward toward the apocalypse. This movie is very uh, religious. It is. Whoa. It is extremely. Uh, it has overtones of, of very serious religion, mostly in uh, the uh, this voiceover from the girl who plays uh, the almost Elvis's wife. If they had had his mother do it, Ashley Judd could have narrated this a little better, I think. <laughs> but probably she said, "Hey, we got our shoot. I was there. Thank you very much." Uh, when she's on set and Ray Liotta's on set with some of the, some of the apparently less experienced actors in the movie, um, boy, you can see these young actors just just get be- you know they grow because they're playing with a professional. It's uh-huh. uh, it's it, it. This movie has so much. It sounds so like many it's... from so many different directions. You are entertained and assaulted by this picture, and I can't recommend enough getting a hold of. Uh, what is it? The Identical. The Identical. Which is the, the stage name. That's the stage name of the, of the brother that, that does the Elvis impersonation, which, by the way, lines up crowds so big at the county fair when he gets the county fair circuit uh, contract mm-hmm. to play, uh, to do fake Elvis stuff. Uh, there's so many people that crowded in to see him that they thought it must have been the last day of the hog judging. <laughs> this can't be our crowd. Yes, yes, fake Elvis. This is your crowd. They said, and he gets to sing. Lots of high points and lots of spirituality. Sounds great. I, I. My wife met uh, Chris Mulkey in a bar in Santa Monica. Oh wow! Did he hit on her? No. Good. No. He was very nice. Yeah, I waved at him in Santa Monica and pulled over, and I said, "Hey, you're really great." He was shirtless and walking across the street with a script for. Uh, mm-hmm. That brawl, that family brawl play that he's going to go do somewhere, apparently. Uh, they made a movie with... Uh, doesn't matter. 
um, August Osage Count oh, was, oh, was sure, the play sure. he was reading. And I said, hey, you're always real good and stuff. You're always real solid. And he's like, uh-huh. uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so what did he have to talk about at the bar? Anything interesting? Did he say fun uh, stuff? No, no. Hill was just sort of tell, telling him that how many movies she owns that he was in. And yeah. they talked about the various titles that she liked. Yeah, you get these guys with 30, you know, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 credits. And, you know, a lot of the time you, you ask them about this favorite thing. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that, that, yeah. That you just grew up on, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. I don't know what that know. is. No, yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> and a lot of times it's kind of defensive, you know. I, I've had this trying to interview people whose work uh, I knew one or two things about, you know, which is a bad way to go into yeah, an interview. Yeah, you shouldn't go in an interview uh, like that. But, but then I'll ask them about those two things, and they they look at you like, why the fuck would you bring that up? Like, well, <laughs> I thought it was good that you did this thing. So at this point, uh, uh, have one or two of the girls disappeared and been pulled through the uh, basement grate? One uh, girl. Just, just, the, just the, the girl that got the, naked. The naked girl got pulled in, and now this is the other lady looking. Looks ju- are you sure this isn't that girl? No, it's not that I girl. I saw her. I saw no, her being she had, killed, but this, she had shorter hair. She did have shorter blonde hair. Hey, you know, is it wrong to say I would kind of like to see this one naked too? I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to speak to whether it's wrong or right. Oh, I, no, I think some cherries are falling down the grate, and, and that's where the, the unseen is in the basement. Sure. I think if you're a heterosexual man, that's a, a reaction that's okay. So here's what's awful. Here's the uh, old lady, the sister, right, of uh, the, the, this The sister slash wife, wife and right. sister. Yes, the wife, sister wife. Uh, and she, this actress, like, for the first 20 minutes of this movie, I was like, what the fuck? Who the fuck? I know Who is her. it? I know her. And then as soon as she started crying, I was like, oh, she's an invasion of the body snatchers. Oh, my God. The Kaufman one from 78 or whatever it Which was. Which one is she? She's the, the wife... When Nimoy's characters first introduced yeah. in the bookstore, yeah. and he's and he's uh, talking to a hysterical therapy. woman yes. down and yes. saying her husband's not her husband, yes. that's her. Oh my god, that's awesome. That's a great. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a nice. Thing. But I didn't that's recognize her. Like I recognize her, but as soon cried. as she cried, I was yeah. like, oh, I know that face. They were crying because that's all she does in Invasion of the Body. Snatcher. I have a lot of girlfriends. I can't remember their faces until uh, I think of them crying. <laughs> You know, they say, uh, Tolstoy, was it? Uh, all happy families are alike. But all unhappy girlfriends, I have to say, also fairly similar. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it. Now, uh, this girl is being dragged into the grate by her scarf, which repeatedly slams her beautiful face into the grate. Right. And this is the moment in these movies where I say, I just don't, I just can't get on this vibe with this. You you got these models so that they would be naked in your prurient little movie so that somebody would go to the drive-in and jack off and or, or more likely drive home from the, from the movie and try to remember the naked girl and jack <laughs> off. And, and here... They get these these beautiful naked girls, and they do nothing but but abuse them and make them all bloody, crush them, make them ugly, well, make, this them, is the, make them. This it, is nineteen eighty, right? This is yeah. This is the era, of the Friday the Thirteenth. I'm know? saying this gesture, and it you know it, it carries on. Uh, I was really offended by the amount of this gesture 
in that Piranha 3D movie you took us to <laughs> that time. Now I like this movie. Now Piranha, yeah, Piranha, Piranha 3D. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's now just it's now just Piranha, right? Because it's not in 3D. Well, I, well, I have streaming. the 3D Blu-ray. I just don't have a 3D uh, yeah. TV, so yeah, I can't I watch it in 3D at some point. Someday. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you were in a in a in a uh, a Kaufman movie from 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 that seventies period, uh, you're probably pretty good because that guy cast actors really well. Well, and the Philip truth Kaufman. is, you know, this lady can spend this actress can spend a massive amount of time crying. Yes, I mean, yeah. like you think about the people... Kaufman thing that that was at least a day, if yep. not two, yep. of having to be yep. in that emotional state all the yep. time. Here she is yep. in this emotional state for most of the running time of this movie. Yep. So you know, no, it's very strong, uh, very strong actor and very capable, skilled to pull off those sorts of emotional highs constantly. And one of the questions that you ask about an industry like this is, why the fuck is she in the unseen? Why isn't she headlining a TV show? Why doesn't she have her own fucking cabaret review somewhere? It's a good question. God why is it, it that uh, Howie went on to the Fall Guy and not her? Exactly. Well, this is my point. This is the reason I brought up this lady. Uh, perfectly nice lady. Uh, I'm sure I'd have sex with her if she asked me and I was available. But she's not dressed. She's not hair done. She's not makeup, And she's also not 20 years younger. And so there's a, there's a stark difference in these shitty movies like this between the way that the sex objects are presented so that they can be defiled later because the souls of the fucking corrupt, perverted <laughs> people who make these movies uh, would like to remind us that it's okay to crush what's beautiful. And women fucking suck, and I hate them. Stab, stab, crush your face. And it's kind of naked. It's kind of obvious, you know, this, this creepy agenda that these creepy people have. And that the oh there she is oh that's terrible her head's propped out of the little so so both of the greats are covered right now by dead ladies yeah and this poor lady this is why I brought her up <clears throat> she's so good look at her yeah look at her in the emotional investment in this she's 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 perfect and yet she's not presented as somebody I want to fuck no and so I'm my focus is is on these dead bloody beautiful beautifulized <laughs> women. Right with their beautifulized hair, their beautifulized makeup, and the desire, like in that Piranha movie where they pulled that girl's face off by getting her hair caught in the outboard motor. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's easy to say, "Well, this is for fifteen-year-old boys who can't get laid and are frustrated and angry at those girls." This is for incels, and I think a lot of the entertainment uh, that, and it, you know, uh, it's it's forever. It doesn't start with this shit. You can see it in silent movies. Um, Joan Bennett spent most of her time with a fucking face covered in bruises getting beat up by uh, you know whatever character was playing her husband or whatever right, lots, right. lots of lots of old timey uh, prurience uh, but in the in the 70s and 80s it really got explicit and you 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 have to consider I have to consider that the incel uh, concept is surely born within us uh, a lot of people have a lot of resentment toward what they can't have and the things that they feel are denied to them and they already uh, if you if you've got a population that's already frustrated because it can't get laid and guess what every society has that population do you want to encourage 
the degradation of beautiful women, uh, of all women, right? Because if they're not beautiful and getting tortured, they're just kind of old and wrinkled and get beat up, you know, a yeah. little bit. Uh, there's something uh, ultimately degrading to all the women who take part, uh, all the female characters in these types of movies. Uh, they're, all, they're all fucking stupid. They're all asking for it. They're all gorgeous and unattainable. And the fact that, uh, you know, as a result of having those three character traits, they're all murdered. <laughs> as well, except as the possible. final girl. The final girl except doesn't... Except for the final girl, who uh, usually, <clears throat> uh, through pluck and virtue, she doesn't fall down, but she also, she also lucks out a lot of the time in these movies. And isn't it in Friday the 13th? He trips or something. He's, he's going to get her, but she... Uh, I'm... I hate these movies, and I, I, I've watched them so little. But I remember in w- at least one of the uh, Friday the 13th movies. Um, is that Jason? That's Jason, right? In yeah, but in the, he, it wouldn't be the first one that you're talking about, because Jason's not the killer in the first one. He's not the killer? No. Who's the killer in the first one? Jason's Mrs. Voorhees. Oh. Well, in one of them, maybe it's in that one. Does the girl who lives and, and, and sort of, sort of Adrian, wins... Adrian King. Does she benefit from uh, the monster that's trying to kill her, the Mrs. Voorhees? Does 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 she benefit at some point from luck? From I feel like this is also I've noticed uh, uh, in my mind at least I've developed this theory that there's a trend where the women who do survive it's not always on their own it's not always because of their own virtue it's often because they lucked out it's often because they had they had assistance from somewhere uh, divine in many cases sure sure in, in the form of luck. Like well, this. that's certainly true about this. The final girl gets saved by the lady who's not sexualized. Yeah. Um, who's been waiting conveniently <clears throat> until the climax of the movie to, to, do to decide that she has a, 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 a an agency. A little late. It's in, a little late. Life. There yeah. are two blonde women yeah. who... Yeah, who really could have benefited from her yeah. changing her mind. So, we victim blame. And we say... <laughs> I'm serious. There's no way that a woman gets out of these movies alive. In, 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 on some level, they're all, they're all pieces of shit because this one should have stopped that one from doing that. And these other two, well, they were just dumb and they just stared into a grate. Why would you let your scarf hang through a grate? The holes in the grate weren't really big enough for that scarf. They had to, like, stuff them down there. Well, and also, it didn't look like a very strong scarf. I feel like the fabric would have ripped if she'd used a little leverage to pull back again. You know what I'm saying? Victim blaming. You're right. And so right. so it's hard right. for these women to survive a review and analysis of these things because all of these characters, most of them, should have known better. You know? <laughs> as soon as you go and get naked in this creepy house and you hear somebody at the keyhole, leave. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, that's easy to say. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get a fucking room in Solvang. Any time of the year, let yeah. alone on parade week. And uh, what are you going to do? And a lot of women have to put up with things like, well, I only got stared at through the keyhole. I wasn't raped. Right. So right. maybe I'll keep the room. It's not that big a deal. And we force them into these positions. And then we say, ah, oh, you weren't a good sport if you leave. You know, you're just some, some angry lesbian if you leave. <laughs> and if you stay, you'll be bloodily murdered. Uh, and 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 it's it's not to the movie's credit that she wasn't murdered naked. They really missed an opportunity here to degrade the spirit of women around the world. And I just find it if it was only done with some panache, if only there was some style. To okay, remember that uh, uh, Peckinpah movie where Dustin Hoffman goes over to England 
and his wife wants to get laid, but he's Dustin Hoffman. Uh huh. So she starts fucking her old boyfriend. Uh huh. And then in the middle of the fuck, it becomes a rape. And yeah. Then, and then he lets <clears throat> his uh, uh, lets his boyfriend uh, rape her too. Uh-huh. And then uh, the and then uh, they remade it all again with James Marsden. I wouldn't say that they remade it so much as they retained the title. Not a, not a lot not a lot going on in that remake. Kind of that was kind of like the Chevy truck commercial version of, of uh, uh, the Straw Dogs. Straw Dogs. Yeah, Susan George is so amazingly good in a couple of movies there in the seventies, and she's. I think she's astonishing in that. Uh, uh, her emotional journey is the only climax in the movie. It's the only emotional apex. Everything else that happens uh, after that is falling action. Nothing that Dustin Hoffman does matters. Mm. The thing that mattered already happened. It was already taken away from him, and there's no way for him to get it back because this movie pretends to be a movie about Dustin Hoffman the whole time, except the only thing that happens that matters uh, the only thing that's really well directed, the only thing that's really well written, the only thing that's, uh, uh, you know, they forced her to film that rape scene for, I think it was four days or five days or something. It's just fucking nightmare. And uh, she didn't have anything good to say about the process. Uh, Peck and Pa was apparently as unpleasant as directors are. But, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, this is a movie about the degradation of women. This is a movie about how uh, a normal sex drive can turn you into this thing that, well, she's a whore. She should have known better. She started it. And that's an intellectual process. That's uh, some sort of, that's a challenging story. That's a story that makes you go, oh, wow. And, and there's nothing, nothing in a slasher movie that makes you go, wow, except what kind of violence this time. Sure. How? Sure. And this movie is so fucking incompetent that the violence is even lame. Oh, they slammed her face against the grate once. <laughs> okay. And then it was over. And then a clothed dead girl. What the fuck? If you're going to go there, if you're going to be this prurient piece of shit movie, why not? Why not? Why really not go investigate? full extra? Why not, why, uh, <laughs> extra is a great example of one of these movies. Uh, uh, I think that. Uh, <clears throat> What's that one with, uh, well, one of the things about a slasher movie is that it has within it uh, a very dark little little kernel of coal for a soul. And the only thing that lights it up, the only thing that lights it up is when women are in trouble and women can't escape. I don't know if it's just me. I have a lot of this. And, and, and uh, Rob Zombie goes there. You know, Rob Zombie's, Rob Zombie's willing to, <clears throat> to make these movies extravagantly lewd and uh, irredeemable. And there's something, uh, and I can't watch those uh, things. Eli either. Roth too. Uh, Eli Roth. There's a uh, yeah, and this is the this is the crescendo that happens in the late '90s, I think, in the in the 2000s. You got this. The, the whole premise is torture. The whole premise yeah. is is uh, physical pain. And when it happens to women, as it mostly does in these pictures, <clears throat> well, the first hostel, it's mostly men. Is it? <clears throat> get tortured. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 it's a sequel that it's the group of girls who get. Yeah, I think I managed <clears throat> not to see uh, any of the hostels, uh, but I don't think I'm uh, out of line in suggesting that Barbara Bach's relationship with Howie is very strange. She doesn't talk a lot. Do you think they took her lines away because she's not very good? Maybe degrading woman, victim blaming. Sorry. I'm he, sorry, he's Barbara. A, uh, he's he's a very 
stubborn man, though. I mean, like, what's she going to say? He's being very difficult. Well, he's also very tall, handsome, and muscular, so... He's not accepting the reality that he's not going to play the game anymore. That's... Like, he's taking it out on her. It's not cool. He wants to be uh, something he used to be. Yeah. Uh, And I guess that's uh, echoed in the fact that there's a naked, fat, limited guy in the the basement. I wonder... uh, and you know, Flou- flounders in the basement. Besides, besides <laughs> the literary uh, uh, critique, there's something very antisocial about these pictures. They encourage, <clears throat> and yeah, I said it. I, I don't think I'm out of line in saying that women are usually the uh, recipients of the of the bloody carnage in horror movies, and usually women with bare feet. Usually, yeah, usually, I mean, you know, Friday the Thirteenth is. Friday the Thirteenth is a lot of boys. You get it's got a lot of boys. Get uh, Kevin Bacon has the best death in the first Friday. Is he the one that gets stabbed from underneath the? Bed? Yeah, the neck. Yeah, the, the neck thing. Neck. That's pretty good. Boy, if that had been the whole Kevin Bacon story. What you don't like Kevin Bacon? I, I got nothing against Kevin Bacon. Perfectly competent. I love Kevin. Not Bacon. very credible actor. I, I never believed a thing he said in a movie. You I didn't don't. believe him in Tremors? I believed him. No. I believed there were giant worms that no. he had to fight. No, the guy with Fred Ward. The guy, the guy from Family Matters, is uh, much better, much more credible, I think. Uh, and I've never believed uh, anything Kevin Bacon <clears throat> said, but he seems like a very nice guy. Did you ever see uh, Cop Car? No, I never did. He's a badass sheriff in that, right? Is he a bad guy? He's scary in is that. Is he scary? Yeah. I don't. I never have believed him in anything. I, I have trouble <clears throat> believing that I will believe him as a. Did you as a scary not believe sheriff? that he was a, a big city kid who moved to a small no. Illinois town called no. Beaumont? No, no, no. Thought it was all bullshit. <laughs> thought it was very unlikely. I thought Laurie Singer would l- more likely fuck one of the handsome guys in the town than this kind of creep. What about when he uh, races Steve Martin in planes, trains, and automobiles uh, for a cab? Uh, did you believe him? You that? know what I believed? I believed, hey, Steve Martin's a better actor than somebody. <laughs> That's what I believe. You really don't like no, I, I don't have much for him. And I really have no... Quick producer's note here. There was more dropped sound. Uh, Jason uh, continues to talk about the reasons he dislikes Kevin Bacon. I would like to note as well as producer uh, that I really like Kevin Bacon that I drove through the kitchen wall and make some coffee and come back and maybe he won't be in it anymore. And as often as not, that's the case. Sure. So I really don't have that much that much against him. Oh, the door with five locks hanging on the wall and all the scratches on it uh, the, to the basement where it's dark, you should probably go down there, Barbara Bach. Victim blaming. Yeah, so yeah, yeah you're doing it. It's so hard not to. It's so hard not to. And Sidney Lassick's down there, the little creep, and he's, he's enticing her to come down. Why? Because this is what he feeds to the kid? But he doesn't seem to eat them. Like, we see their bodies down here, and I feel like they're not even, they're not even eaten. He just, he just kills pretty girls. You know why? Because that's the motivation for this whole fucking genre of picture. And, uh, and you're not buying it. You're saying it's just it's as many boys as girls... I don't know. I, no, well, not in this one. I mean, there's certainly no, 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 ones where it's one. heavier <coughs> on the ladies. I feel like I, in Friday, I, th- I would say that it's pretty equal. Nobody, but, you're, but you're right in that. Nobody puts on the poster a picture of a guy in jockey <clears throat> shorts running no, away. No, you're right. Away you're right. The there's more, probably more, more care is taken uh, in the uh, 
death of the lady characters than the boys. And this is partly a literary issue because the woman is the naturally uh, physically weaker, not as able to withstand the, the onslaught of the monster. So you make the obstacle greater by making the protagonist a woman, right? So that's defensible on a, you know, from a literary perspective. But uh, culturally, these things do nothing for us except to encourage incel-type characters that, in fact, women are for degrading. Women are to be abused. And I can't say that I grew up without uh, a lot of that on, on my conscience. I thought a lot of these things when I was growing up. I thought women were, were as dumb, you know, as, as, as I could think of them, partly because as a young man, my job was outsmarting them. What do you mean? I mean, trying to get laid. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> I mean, talking, a, talking a young woman who hasn't been laid a lot into getting laid is a lot less difficult. Uh, than talking an adult person into sleeping with you, uh, in my experience. Really? Yeah. I'm not saying I have a lot of trouble getting laid as an adult. I'm saying that as a, as a young person, it's like fucking mowing the lawn. Young people don't have any idea of the potential ramifications of, 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 of any activity because they're basically... Idiots. <laughs> now, young people don't know what adults know. And so uh, I found persuading, you know, when I was 15 and 16, talking 15 and 16 year old girls into getting naked was uh, pretty easy. And I thought <laughs> less of women because of it, I think. Because I, it was I, easy? Yeah. I think I thought, now, and, and, and I had enormous reverence for the women who are kind enough to be easy about it. But at the same time, it made me think that most women, because these were most of the women of my acquaintance that I paid any attention to, most women are pushovers. Most women can be talked about. See, I did, I, I did not have that. Uh, That's the trouble that with having a really sexually active was... youth. You know, you get these ideas. And if I, I, I think about it, and, you know, there was a year where I really wanted to get laid and couldn't when I was between 13 and 14 or 14 and 15. I think I started getting laid around 14. And there was a year there where I was super mad. Really? Super mad at God, and I was specifically angry with God. I was specifically angry with women. I was that way when I was by the time I was nineteen Fucking in college. Bitch. Fucking bitch. Because I, I didn't, I, I couldn't, you couldn't, know, couldn't, couldn't seal a deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, in, when I was in high school, because it was a small town. It's like it was such a small town. You know, by the time I got. Yes. Into high school, I'd asked everybody out yes. and been yes. rejected. Yes. So then it was, yep. it was like, it was all just friendships and trying to hoping the friendship something would happen. Never did. You know, it was very a, frustrating. You know, very. and then and then I get to NYU and I'm in Manhattan. I go from you know, you know, forty girls who you know I've known for eighteen years. So in Manhattan, there's almost four hundred, <laughs> at least. It's, it's, it's at a least. large number of women. So and then I'm and then that I still can't. I I definitely got so, mad, so, and I and like being mad at God because I still yeah. had the Catholic in me was that, that was me. I was so, mad at God. Did like, you? What the fuck? Yeah, isn't that an interesting thing? Because <laughs> I wasn't even religious, but I, I I came to believe somewhere around thirteen to fourteen strongly. That there was a, it wasn't against me. There wasn't a will pressing me back from having sex. And having sex was it. I didn't have any other aspirations. I didn't have any goals in life. I didn't have any hobbies. I walked around town with this other frustrated friend of mine. And we looked for women to talk to. 
And we were very good talkers. We weren't mean people. We didn't we didn't yell and throw things if they didn't want to talk to us. We right. Were, we weren't assholes. Uh, we were nice guys. And by the time we started getting laid, being nice guys really paid off because uh, uh, you know people like nice people, and so it, was, it, it made That's the game true. easier. But I was very lucky. I had a lot of you know in some ways. I had a lot of sex uh, very young, and I came to regard the world as a certain way. And after this loathing, and I was mad at women. Uh, almost as much as I was mad at, and you know, when I say God, I never thought of God in 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 actual you know religious terms. I think of it as the forces of the universe. The sure, way the sure. world works was designed against what I wanted. Sure, I didn't take it personally so much as there's a force here that I haven't figured out how to swim with. Right. I haven't, you know, there's there's a, there's a there's a way, and I'm not getting the way. And it was very frustrating, and I took it very personally, and I got mad at women. Uh, I would think of women harshly. I would think of women as part of the problem. Sure. And, when, and, and uh, so you're going through years of, uh, of, of sexual frustration there. Uh, by the time you got to New York and you're mad at God, were you mad at women too? Did you, did you oh, have yeah, residual yeah. I was sort definitely, of like uh, resentment yeah, toward, uh, yeah. toward women? Did, I, I, did that affect your ability to have women friends? No. No, it, it it was a strange. You know, I'm uh, I compartmentalize yeah, everything. Yeah. So you know, I, I I was friends with women and and girls without being mad at them individually necessarily. Right. Yes. Although in some yes. cases I was. Like we were talking before about how I lost control of myself at my 21st birthday party. You know, and and the girl who I was angry at there, it was because we were friends for so long, and you know, and it, it never, it never got romantic. Yeah. And then she would get romantic with oh my god, friends I had, of mine. Ah, oh, I had know? a very similar scene when I was around that age, with uh, with these two girls. You just made me flash on it. Yeah. Oh so my god. I like, and it was. You know, and that year I had a tumor in my leg and all this shit. So, oh God. you know, yeah. like I like thought I was dying. Like that was that was so, so eye opening for me. Like in hindsight, looking back at my behavior when I thought I was yeah. terminally ill. Yeah. Like the world owes me shit. Yeah. Like a blowjob. Now in movies, <laughs> when you find out you're dying, you become a saint. No, no, I know. And, and you fly to heaven, and and you start treating everybody the way that you wanted to be treated, and and they make yeah, the, so. the whole high school has this picture of you in the hallway. You know, everybody kisses it when they walk by, and 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 you went to, you went to anger. I went. I went to frustration. Yeah. Why? Why? Why, why, why isn't this girl I've been dating going to have sex with me uh, now that I know that I have uh, cancer and I'm going to die? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. A fucking. Uh, yeah, I remember a similar scene to that. I got really, really drunk and mad. We, uh, uh, a friend of mine, my roommate and I, Eric, uh, and uh, these two girls I had grown up with, basically, and they were friends, and I didn't know that. And and it was the first time that I'd really hung out drinking with either of them. It was at my mother's house. We were listening to records, and it was clear that nothing was going to happen. And I think then I got really angry, and I started accusing, or I, I, I. I Threatened her that if she ever something, I would tell everybody. It was a real ugly kind of a kind of a nasty. I, I, I she had revealed something in confidence. God, I remember her name. 
She had revealed something in confidence over this drunken evening, and then I tried to use it against her. I threatened to tell people about it if she <sighs> caused harm to some friend of mine somehow. I think, you know, I, I don't remember much of it. Uh, I remember it being ugly. I remember being way out of line. And I remember looking at their these two girls' faces, and they were like, what the fuck? And they kept looking at my friend like, what the fuck is wrong with him? <laughs> I remember that vividly. And this kind of frustration, this kind of, oh, Barbara. When Barbara gives up there, I love that. She just she, just she flops and slides and, and down, slides down uh, that hill. Now, that's the same window and that same hill in the basement that uh, in The Incredible Shrinking Man, he fights the spider up there on that, on that ridge above the dirt. Oh, really? Uh, by the, uh, it may not be the same basement. Oh my God! Oh, she twisted her foot oh, somehow. Oh, and then she banged into the. Now isn't that a good thing that she hit the electric box, the fuse box? Well, I think yeah. Doesn't she pull the thing out now? Oh, and okay. It becomes live wire. Oh, live wire, Barbara! Look out! This is exactly how the towering inferno started. <laughs> well, <laughs> flounder again, <laughs> setting things on fire. Fucking flounder. He manages not to set anything on fire all through Animal House. But yeah, Stephen First, uh, this is, like, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Animal House. I think it's one of the best directed movies ever made. I think the editing is among the best, so good. best edited movies. Did you believe Kevin Bacon in that? Getting spanked? Yes. Yes, right. I did. No, right. no. No, <laughs> no and that's a great example. Uh, <laughs> Doug Niedermeyer is uh, totally credible to me. And Greg Marmalard. Whoever that actor is, the the guy who kind of looks like a tab hunter type, and he oh. plays the head. You know, he, yeah. he's not in as much, but he's, oh, yeah, he's the yeah. head of the uh, of the bad uh, frat. Holy shit, these guys are astonishingly good, subtle actors. I mean, the way they played these scenes, it's just fucking Landis must be just 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 magic with an actor. Uh, nothing he could do for Kevin Bacon. But Stephen First is is just gorgeous in this movie. He's got so many highs and lows. He's got a he's got a, a, a carry us in, in many ways through the first half of the movie. And it stops being about him so much. But his pledge period is is excruciating. Oh, yeah, you know? and he's such a such an emotive actor. And in this, so this obviously reminds us of uh, what's that one that we watched a few months back, uh, a year or so, uh, with the the baby. Oh right, where the the, the ladies uh, keep, keep keep a man baby, man baby in, a, yeah. in, a, in a giant crib. Well, Stephen First is, and that guy was that guy acquitted himself very well. I think that was some kind of some kind of experimental theater actor in the baby who really, you know, <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite great. buy him as a baby, but he was doing his baby work. He was doing as much as he could. He was really acting, and so is First here. And first he first here, can't talk; he can only grunt. It's amazing how much moan. he gets across in this, and his face when it goes blank. It's very scary. It like, is scary. First isn't just some funny fat guy in the basement. He's fucking terrifying. Here. Yeah. He's, he's got some prosthetic. But mostly, that's just him acting. Yeah, it is when his eyes go dead. That's super creepy. Really creepy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, like, the fact that she made it fully into the basement without being killed by a grate, is that why he doesn't kill her immediately? Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, he killed the blondes. Maybe he doesn't kill brunettes. Well, I'm. I don't think. Hear me out here for a okay. sec. I don't know that he meant to kill the blondes. Oh no! I think he just wanted them to come down and hang out with him. So, so I'm right. So, so the fact that she made it down there on her own means he doesn't have to kill her trying to drag right, her through right. the grate. Right, right. He just wants to hang sure. out. Yeah, he doesn't 
doesn't seem particularly murderous, but he does seem like he probably throws a tantrum, and it's probably a big deal. Yeah, you don't want to upset does. him. No. You're right. Yeah, because he's a, yeah. If he has a, a tantrum, but his he's little very big. his little uh, baby dance that he does, his little uh, you know two year old toddler in a giant diaper uh, physicality here is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty delightful. It's really good. It's really better than the movie deserves, and it's really a shame that there isn't more of him in the movie. Oh my god. You know what this movie looks like, you know, especially when you're down here in this basement, uh, is uh, the Boogans. Who's in that? Nobody. The Boogans? Yeah, it's called the Boogans. How old is it? That's from the eighties or early uh, ni- late eighties. I don't really know. Early nineties. It has that exposed stone it, look. It like the VH boom <laughs> happened, stones. and that yeah. it was one of those movies that I mean, it probably was you know limited release or whatever. Uh, or they released it and it didn't do well, but it, the thing it said on the video at the top was as scary a movie as you're likely to see is what the quote was, and it was from Stephen King. Oh. And then, and then since, you know, I read, like, people ask him, so you really like the Boogans? He's like, no, I was just doing a favor for a friend. <laughs> yeah, and that's how you get Ray Liotta playing a Tennessee shout preacher. Yeah, exactly. Uh yeah, there's something... Um, but it's the same thing, because it's people in a house, you know? Uh, except it's a couple <laughs> couples in a house, and and, the, and they people start disappearing in, under the floor. Oh, it's down on the floor. And then they realize that the basement's connected to this system of old mines oh. that has uh, these monsters oh. uh, called the Boogans. The Boogans. Yeah. And they'll eat you? Uh, yeah, they pull you in, they yeah. tear you apart. It's terrible. I just always like the name the Boogans. It's a, it's a, it sounds like a Stephen King name. Yeah, I think it that's why like, he liked it. There, yeah. I think they were specifically trying to feel like a Stephen King movie. And I love it that Stephen uh, First's uh, shorts are full of shit in this. Uh, it's clearly uh, he's costumed as <clears throat> shits his uh, tidy whities in this, uh, which is a nice touch because it adds to the horror of uh, being romanced. Because she's used to Howie, right? Big, tall, strong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Even if he does have his football injury and he's going to have to kind of do the housework while she goes out (laughs) and does TV production. Uh, This is very different. Now she feels like, you know what she's thinking right now? Right now? She's thinking, I should have talked more to Howie. I should have been more verbal. Because this guy, this guy, not as good as Howie. So many ways. But he is expressive. Yeah. This is a guy who really lets you know how he feels. Oh, wow. Wow, that's scary. <laughs> it's wow, so that's weird. fucking terrifying. He's, uh, he gets th- mad, but then he's happy. That's what's so weird. Oh, well, he's, there's something wrong with him, you know? Clearly, yeah, something yeah. wrong. Oh, he grabs her knee. Jesus Christ. See, I find this terrifying. Yeah, that's this awful. This guy's fucking awful. Oh, he's biting her oh, hair. Oh, he's just thinking, of, what do I do with the toy? It's it's really... Uh, he His through line in this, as short as it is, very followable, very clear, very uh, appreciable. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, like, I, I understand him way better than I understand what the fuck Barbara Bach's motives are in this movie. She never changes the look on her face, you know? So so I don't know if she's happy or sad. She looks at Howie. She looks at, you know, this house. She looks at that fucking blue station wagon they keep driving around in. She's got the same goddamn expression, same emotion. And here's Sydney Lassick gloating. 
There's nothing grosser than a gross person gloating. Oh, yeah, that's awful. We love that. Remember in Dim, in uh, in Clockwork Orange, when the, the whole tribe is raping that lady? Oh, yeah. And Dim keeps laughing? Yeah. And he's laughing like a dumb person. Yeah. And that somehow is the really the worst part. I, I fucking hate that scene so much. Yeah, it's so bad. So rough. And, and it's, uh, you know, another thing that I hate about that, I don't want to start on a Kubrick rant. You can. Go ahead. Everything in a Kubrick movie looks like a set. Sure. Everything in a Kubrick movie looks like uh, it has no breath in it. It has no life in it. It looks like it was set up and they said, go. And then they said, stop, stop, stop. And they moved the pack of cigarettes three inches to the right on the table. And they said, okay, go again. Isn't that what people like about Kubrick? I guess. I don't know. I mean, I like a lot of things about it. I like some of the ideas he comes up with. I like the pictures that he makes. And... uh, uh, but you're not going to get a good performance for the most part in most of his movies. Most of these people look tired. They look sick of saying that same thing over and over. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that Nicole Kidman is so amazing to me. She manages to be not only really good, but hot in, a, in, in that Kubrick movie. Yeah. With, and, and, and she has to act with Tom Cruise. That's fucking supernatural if you can pull that shit off. She's, she amazes me. I think she's one of the best. Oh, Sister mom hit baby in the head with something. No, she hit Sydney last. She hit Sydney. She bit him. Oh, she bit him. Well, that's what happens. Sydney. Sydney looks so betrayed. Do you think there's stuff like this that really happens in the Solvang area? Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons they decorate the houses so colorfully is that <laughs> they're trying to live in the past when, when they weren't. But yeah, that's what happens when you move to the Central Coast. You become this horrible monster that fucks your sister and puts the result in the basement, makes sure it eats only the most beautiful and delectable blondes. Poor Sydney. Now, what do you think of Sydney? You've seen him in 100 movies. I mean, he's always there. Is he yeah, a good actor? I, is he some like like I have this thing with uh, with uh, the guy you were just talking about, the uh, uh, eminently replaceable Kevin Bacon. Uh, <laughs> now with Sidney Sidney Lassick, do you feel that he's a good actor? Do you believe him when he does stuff? Uh, no. Look at Stephen First and his fucking investment. No, First is really good. So good. This- and you cut back and forth. This this scene is actually cutting back and forth between close ups of Sidney Lassick's face and close up of Stephen First's face, and uh, it's like Stephen First is giving him a lesson in, yeah. in how to act big, you know, yeah. and, and and remain credible. And Sidney's like, ah, I have to get back to the station. I have to dispatch some <laughs> some meat trucks and uh, there's other stuff at the port. I'm gonna make some calls. I'm gonna make this face first. I used to get him confused with that guy who's in uh, Frankenhooker with a chicken. But maybe he was in Weekend at Bernie's 2 with the chicken. Damn, I don't in the, remember any in of In the movie theater. You know? I, I, I don't remember those movies. I don't think I saw them. So well, both of them have these moments where a guy is in a porno theater with a, with chicken? a chicken. It's the zeitgeist, right? <laughs> <laughs> Must have been what was on our minds collectively. I didn't know. But if two guys fuck a chicken in a porno theater in two different movies, then it, I can't deny that kind of momentum. 
Part of me always wondered if, because Weekend at Bernie's, I think two came after Frankenhooker. I think it did. Okay. So I always wondered if that was like an homage to Frankenhooker, because I, <laughs> I feel like it's the same guy and it's the same theater. I just had this weird experience, which is that, uh, do you know in Godzilla, there's the homeless guy with the dog that is kind of a character, the black guy? Eddie Griffin? Is it Eddie Griffin? In Armageddon? No, it is. Oh, it's Armageddon. Okay. Where he has the d- bulldog and the, the yeah. asteroid and he ha- Yeah, he's, he's like, got a shopping cart. And, and the dog's hanging on the leash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's Eddie Griffin? That's Eddie Griffin. <sighs> now, does that character recur... In other uh, movies by that horrible... Uh, uh, no, that's a Michael Bay movie. That's a Michael Bay movie. Okay. So I thought that that character was in both the Godzilla uh, by uh, that horrible... Uh, uh, Roland Emmerich. Emmerich. Yeah. Uh, and and in uh, the other one by him uh, that I just watched uh, for the first time in 20 years, Independence Day. I thought he was in both of those. But in fact, he's just in... Armageddon. He's just in Armageddon. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. And I had no idea it was Eddie Griffin, even though Eddie Griffin once made fun of my props on stage. He did what? He did. Uh, it was during the Anthrax time, and we had done a sketch at the comedy store opening up for Eddie Griffin. And then Eddie Griffin came out and uh, said, "There was I somehow I had left my big bag of cocaine Anthrax prop uh-huh. The, from the sketch that we had been doing. Oh, sure. And he picked it up and said, fucking anthrax, shit. <laughs> Threw the bag down and did his routine. Uh, so I really shouldn't, I can't believe that I left it on the table out there. We must have been in a big hurry skedaddling off of that stage. Well, that's nice that he uh, you no. know, referenced your show. He was very nice. Very nice. Very polite. Uh, in the 15 seconds that we got to pass him in the, very narrow sort of green room thing there going on back of that. I remember people talking for a while that, that Eddie Griffin got robbed by Hollywood and he should have been made a bigger star. What do you think about that? Well, if you look at black stand-ups who transitioned into, because uh, I assume that's what we're talking about. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this guy uh, has a very ethnic uh, read He's got a very uh, urban kind of, you know, this is not some guy that wanted to become the black Tom Hanks, right? No. And and of this suite of performers that came out of the 90s that kind of had that vibe going on, the fact that Kevin Hart is the movie star of the bunch, I find bizarrely unfair. <laughs> I think Eddie Griffin is vastly more talented. I think, uh, you know, the fact that Eddie Murphy gets to remain Eddie Murphy and you know make one movie every five years, but it's still a big movie and this kind of thing. I think that's weird. I don't understand Hollywood. None of it. Oh, oh I forgot. Stephen first got a oh, nail in his head. Nail in the head. And yet, I don't think that's uh, the last of Stephen first. You've killed your sister son. Now what? Now what, Sydney? Right, but we forget that uh, the unseen. Stephen First isn't using his uh, frontal lobe anyway. So this nail actually, all it did was hurt. It didn't, didn't stop him from his rampage of revenge on dad for what he did to sister mom. Brother dad? 
I guess, I guess it's Brother Dad. I don't know. Jeez, there's a lot of traffic here today. Well, you are a popular guy, and uh, it's to, December. Yeah, I have to receive packages. It's my whole fucking life. <laughs> when, when Stephen first uh, makes his uh, entrance in this picture, um, you wonder, oh, oh, and then you say, well, because the thing about... Uh, Sidney Lassick, for instance, these actors who habitually, you know, because they look a certain way, they play a certain part, and you, you never get to see them really, really out of that. They, uh, my only experience of Stephen First that I can think of is Animal House, and then that Silent, Silent Rage, I guess, the thing with Chuck Norris, and uh, he basically plays Flounder in that. Oh, you're forgetting about uh, the Dream Team, I guess. The Dream Team. What's the Dream Team? The Dream Team is a movie with him. Uh, and his character only speaks in quotes uh, from television and film. What? what uh, uh, and Michael Ke- It's Michael Keaton and Stephen First and um, uh, uh, Peter Boyle. Oh my God! And Christopher Lloyd. What? Um, and they're escaped mental patients. Uh, you know, out on the lamb. Who directed it? Who's responsible for this? I don't remember. Is it any good? I liked it when well, I saw no, I it in the theater. That's a in fascinating the 80s. cast. That sounds. I don't. Great. I don't think it's like hysterically funny. No, but it, like it, it sounds like with that cast, they might be going for something else. You know, it might not be a comedy. It, yeah, it's it's. Per uh, se. I, I recall it being very entertaining. Uh, not as funny as I hoped it would be, uh, but uh, enjoyable. Fuck, I'd forgotten that existed if I ever knew, and it sounds like with that, uh, with with uh, Keaton in it, I probably knew because they probably pushed it. So now I'm going to try and watch the Dream Team. Yeah, there you go. It's got to be out there somewhere. Hey, uh, Keaton was in a lot of weird movies. Yes, he. Now there's a guy who fucking didn't care. He wanted to do interesting did you, things. Did, did you ever see the Squeeze? Is that with it, him and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio? Uh, I want to say it's Radon Chong. Okay. But maybe it's Mary Elizabeth. I got Brunette. I, I landed on Brunette. I, I could be wrong. I swear to God it was Radon What happens Chong. in Squeeze? I don't quite remember, but he's like a New York artist putting together some like club or something. He's like making a crazy club. I can't remember. And it's like, I can't. It's called the squeeze because he owes one person money or something. He has to. I can't remember. Is this post Batman? No, it's before Batman. It's one of the like Keaton movies that didn't do well. You know what I saw the other day? A clip of him doing it was it was a little ten minute set that he did a stand up uh, somewhere. You know, from the eighties. Yeah, is pre everything because he yeah he did stand up. Jesus Christ! This guy was astonishing. This guy was really good. Yeah, like he was really good. His jokes were funny. His timing was amazing. His presentation. He was like twenty five. Yeah, I I had totally forgotten that he was a stand up too. What I gotta you? watch that uh, dope sick show. Oh yeah, but I don't want to have to get Hulu. It looks depressing. It looks depressing too. Hey, I I know how it ends too. You know, but I, I like Michael Keaton. He's great. I didn't like that Birdman thing, but I don't like. I don't think all of any movie that Michael Keaton has been in. He's one of those guys that, for me, it's kind of you like him, but not his movies. I love him. I think he's just so genuine. Remember that one where he he wears some little newsy hat and he plays a serial killer. 
but he's but he's a good serial killer and he's looking out for or he's a hitman or some shit and he's he's uh, uh, I think it's got that Scottish girl in it from Train Spotting and and he and he decides he, he protects her somehow. Oh yeah, uh, what the f- yeah. He's always in these weird little indie things that don't quite work, and they, you know, often they quit working in the first act because it's just like, what did you? Clearly, he wants to do something. He's got. I want to. I want to exercise this muscle. I want to act this way. I well, wanna... and he was gone for a long time. Yeah, he appears not to have uh, exercised he... for a while. Now he's back. Well, and then I was like, well, where has Michael Keaton? Like, because it's one of those things. Like, what happened to Michael Keaton? Why? You know, because like you mentioned Ashley Judd before, what, where'd she go? Oh, she, she got Harvey Weinstein, you know? So what happened to... Or like Brendan Fraser, you know? Like what happened to Brendan... Oh, that's what happened to Brendan Fraser. All I can figure about Michael Keaton is he just wanted to be on his 300-acre ranch in Montana and yeah. not see anybody. Yeah, that seems very attractive to a lot of these guys. And uh, it seems like the prospect of the property taxes is what makes a lot of them go into these straight-to-video <laughs> things. You know? Yeah, they, they like he called his agent and said, "Hey, I need three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> if I can get more, I'll take." Oh no, Howie's knee now comes in, and he falls down. So wait a minute, who are we fighting now? Who are we trying to run from now? Dad or yeah, Dad. still brother? Dad. Dad. The, the baby's dead. Baby's dead. Flounder died. From the nail in the head? Yeah. I feel like he, I, I was sure he was going to get up from that, but he never did. No, he never did. Yeah, I thought he was going to get up too, but then he falls down. This is... See, I've so much respect for all three of these fucking actors lying in the mud. All night. Horrible. At least all night. I mean, this looks like it took maybe a couple of days. Uh, there's a lot of lying in the driveway here. A lot of fighting. She's in the really mud. good. That was really good. She's excellent. That look and She's then excellent. just going. Oh, What's her God. name? I now, don't know. Now I'm, I'm obligated to look up her name. Yeah. Well, maybe your phone is more used to your uh, network. Uh, Mine uh, takes fucking two hours to do anything. Uh, that was amazing. That Bruce Willis thing. I will mention while we're uh, <laughs> while you're looking that up. That uh, did you see the harder they fall on one, yeah, of, the, one of the streaming things? Did you like it? I did. I try to like it real bad, but I don't like these Italian movies that it's kind of ripping off. And not ripping off. But I mean, I, I thought it was kind of a mess, but I enjoyed I enjoyed it for what it was. You know. Yeah, I was. I had a hard time doing that, and I I don't know if it's because of my prejudice against these uh, spaghetti movie conventions, or or just because I thought it was kind of dumb. I thought what the characters were doing was unlikable and 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 not particularly watchable. And and I have this, you know. I'm I am grossly attracted to westerns. I want to see every western, and every western fucking sucks. Is my <laughs> conclusion. I was real bummed out, and I liked the way that they were playing with, uh, you know, black western history, like like this Lilia Lilia Goldini. Well, Lilia, you did a great fucking job. She's an actress, a director, and a producer. Well, yeah, but that's everybody's IMDb page. I know. I'm also an actress, a director. But she's still working. Had a couple of shorts in the last couple of years. She's got an upcoming. See, project. she she's still working with kids. She's probably a teacher. She's probably a really really good teacher. I don't know that, but I know that she's a great actor. Look at that. She landed there. She landed the whole movie. You know what they said? We've got Lelia on set, and we still haven't filmed. You know, like a like a fine like a credits roll shot. Should we just do her cradling the, the dead cradling flounder? That's very sweet. <laughs> yeah, what a strange, uh, uh, ugly little movie. 
Yeah, um, it really is. And I'm sorry I brought it to our attention. I really am. Uh, in that uh, Heart of the Fall movie, there's a, there's a character, Stagecoach Mary, who's always been one of my uh, favorite old Western-time heroes. Cause sure, she was, yeah. You, you know about her? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. And uh, they cast this hot, skinny girl, you uh-huh. know, as this uh, character. And I thought, well, that just doesn't have anything to do with all the mythologies that I've that brewed myself in. What I wanted to see was something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have liked uh, something a little less sexy, you know. And I thought the whole movie went for sexy and clever and cute instead yeah. of anything that I wanted. It was is... trying to be more of a tombstone than anything else. Well, the end of Tombstone, you know, like yeah. like the the uh, the fun parts. Okay, uh, before we go, did you? Uh, what's your opinion of Ryan Reynolds? My, At this point in history, my son really likes him. Um, I think he does one thing, and sometimes it it's served well by a movie, and sometimes it isn't. Well, then we we apparently share the middle aged white guy's opinion of Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> so so I, I I have come to the conclusion up until a couple of weeks ago I I had uh, for at least a couple of months I had a. I declared uh, uh, a no Ryan Reynolds zone. I said, I've been too Ryan reynolds You had too much. You know, the last one was the one with uh, The Rock and Ryan Reynolds, and they're, yeah. they're thieves or something. I watched that, but I was so baked, yeah. I don't remember anything about it. Uh, and you did the right thing, mm-hmm. I think. It was very bad, and very trite, and very uh, derivative. Like, and, and, you know, it was all designed around him being cute. It was all designed around... Uh, this 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 character that he plays, uh, and it reminds me of when uh, who's the tall guy that was in those comedies? He was in Swingers, and he was and Vince, Vaughn? He, Vince Vaughn had this thing, this run of about five or ten movies where he just played that character, and you know whatever the circumstances were, and he just kind of make them ups and go along, and uh, and I feel like that's what's going on with Ryan Reynolds. He's on top. He, he's got the, all these budgets, and he's making as many movies as he can. But in a row. He, he has been playing Van Wilder since Van Wilder. Since Van Wilder, and so it's this one thing, and he you know he shows up to do that one thing, and he. He pretty much brings it, and everybody else is amused by it. You know, it's kind of cute, and that happens, and that's fine. And I was sick of it. I was like, okay, this is sick. This is retreads. Now I'm smelling the smoke off his tires. This is just not. <laughs> this is not. You know, the the original show anymore. This isn't Deadpool. It's not even Deadpool two. It's fucking. You know, this this horrible thing. Red. It's called Red. It's got the Rock and the fucking Wonder Woman and the fucking Ryan Reynolds Red, in Red it. Red Notice. Red is something. Red No. Oh, it's got another word in I it. Red so. Notice. Okay, good because I was like, Red is an existing franchise. What are you doing? Red's already two movies. Yeah, right. Not so, just Red and Red Two. I mean, there's Red and Red. Oh, who's the other Red? The other Red is a movie starring Brian Cox, that predates John Wick. But Brian Cox is in Red. I know. Oh my God, he's in two reds. He's in two reds. How fucked up for Brian Cox. And his first red, it's his dog is named Red, and it's a revenge movie where his dog gets killed. And Brian Cox goes on the revenge road. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah, it's good. Oh wow! All right, thank you. You're welcome. That's great. I'm gonna go find that. Yeah, you'll enjoy. So, it. so I watched this fucking red notice, and I said, okay, no more, no more, no more Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> and Free Guy, I think, had already come out or was just about to come out, and then yeah. it came out, and I was like, I'm not watching. You I watch see. It. And that's another one. Watching. I was really high. My kid really wanted to see it. I tell I you, I was high. I watched this movie. I, I was, enjoyed it enough. This movie was fucking. I thought awesome. 
I thought it did everything that one of these movies is supposed to do. It was exactly Free Guy. Free Guy, you mean? Free Guy. Oh, yeah. okay. I thought Free Guy was terrific, and I thought it 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 used the same jokes. It used the same uh, fucking punchlines. It used the same visuals. It used the same character, of course. It used the same uh, many of the same setups. It was just incredibly the same fucking movie that he keeps making, except it was made well. Ah, yeah. I thought it was just. Uh, these jokes landed. I thought the writing was a lot better than 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 many of his projects uh, and many of the projects that are foisted upon us these days uh, and ever. I thought it was clever. I thought it was good. I thought the acting was good, but mostly it was directed like somebody gave a fuck and somebody had time to give a fuck. This was a movie that was cherished, and Red Notice seemed like a movie that was shat. You know, there was no there, there was no yeah. particular collection uh, 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 of ideas. It, yeah, it felt like like. Contractual obligations yeah, meeting yeah. corporate yeah. marketing algorithms. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And they got together and they were Very like, nice. Yeah. And that's what Free Guy looked like from the outside 100%. Yeah. Guess what? You get in there, that's exactly what I, it is. There's nothing new. And, that, and, and that's yet the, it's well done. That's the thing is, I, I, it's too, it's how I approached these movies as an individual with preconceived notions and opinions. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was looking mm-hmm. forward to Red Notice because that looks like my kind of mid-budget, you know, mm-hmm. action, yes. dumb action movie that I can enjoy. And Free Guy looks like the kind of over the top intellectual property giant. piece of yes. shit that yes. I don't We're want. Make eight of these. Oh, and you're going to make a joke about intellectual property yeah. because yeah. Yeah. isn't this is just Deadpool again? Yeah. But PG thirteen. Yeah. And who wants to? Oh, I'm enjoying it. But at the same time, you know, Steve and Steve thought it was stupid. So yeah. you, you know, we're all different. So so it, it has to do with timing. It has to do with lateral. You know, what else is going on? Whatever the fuck, as you say, what we bring and 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 what that is. But I had this. And in the same week or two, I had a, a, so this is where I've been, I had an identical experience trying to watch uh, this old Billy Wilder movie. Uh, Billy Wilder, one of the titans of fucking, you know, American cinema. And I think most of his movies are shitty, especially his comedies are fucking terrible. <laughs> and I tried to watch, not Cactus Flower, it's the one where Jack Lemon is a CBS cameraman at the football game and he gets knocked over and his schemy uh, ambulance chasing brother-in-law played by Walter Matthau uh, gets him to claim that he was injured and, and it goes from oh there. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I forget what it's called and so uh, I've tried to watch this several times and I watched it uh, I watched the first five minutes again the other day and uh, Walter Matthau is amazing Jack Lemmon's Jack Lemmon uh, the thing is is whatever the the bit where he actually gets hurt you know the the, the stunt very typically Billy Wilder. It's clumsy. It's not handled very well. It's not very impressive. And he repeats it. They have the instant replay thing, you know, because mm-hmm. that was new in 1962. So he has him repeat the fucking uh, stunt, which is not a very good or interesting stunt. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. And it's got these problems. And, and then it's got this joke about unwed mothers that fucking Walter Matthau drops in somewhere around the five-minute mark. Uh, somebody says, I'm collecting for unwed mothers. And he says, well, I'm for them. And fucking put some money in a cup, and the movie goes on. It's so boring, and I turn it off. The timing's the, flat. None of the jokes land. There are the, the, that was that was of an era. The unwed mother right? jokes. So I, I remember off, Steve Martin had one. There's there's, there's in his stand-up. There's something very uh, humorous to a lot of men about uh, uh, an unwed mother. So I so I stop. I go. I'm not going to watch this. Not because of the unwed mother thing. I don't like the movie. That jokes aren't landing. There's too much space. There's no comic timing. There's no fucking rhythm. And uh, 
camera's always in the wrong place. I hate Billy Wilder most of the time. So I stop watching it. And I switch over to A Touch of Mink, or That Touch of Mink, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, uh, Cary Grant and uh, Doris Day. A much lower proposition in terms of artistic integrity, most people would say. Uh, from right around the same, I think it's from the same year. Uh, it's a... Uh, Sex comedy with, uh, you know, two adorable people doing adorable things. Very predictable. Very silly. There's an unwed mother's joke in this movie. Same fucking joke. <laughs> and it lands. And it lands in this movie because this movie doesn't have the pretension of, uh, my family was killed in the Holocaust. I had to escape with my life and I come here. I make happy movies. I make joy movies. But they make you think. It doesn't have any of that. It doesn't have the weight of the fucking Holocaust on it, which, not to be flippant about it, but uh, there's something that uh, Billy Wilder got from being an emigre, you know, and a fucking uh, uh, an escape artist, essentially, from, from, from Europe uh, and, and uh, you know, watching that atrocity behind him and then going back after the war and, you know, making these newsreels uh, about uh, Dachau and shit. Um, he came back and he was reverent about himself. All his movies are very precious about himself and all his comedy doesn't work because there's too much space in it because you have to hold for the laugh. Hold for the laugh. <laughs> hold for the laugh. And in, uh, in these uh, Doris Day movies, there's none of that. It's a well-oiled machine. And this writing is fucking sharp. It's, it plays to their strengths. And when the, uh, Cary Grant does an unwed mother joke... Walter Matthau was excellent in this other movie. Uh, not Cactus Flower. What the fuck is it called? And uh, uh, it's not his fault. Not his fault. Nothing plays because it's badly directed. Comedy needs direction vastly more than, than most of the subsets. And uh, when Cary Grant says it, when Doris Day says it, it fucking works because it's just a joke. <laughs> Here's a joke and then we're moving on. It's a sex joke and eventually we're going to have sex. <laughs> uh, and it won't happen for the next two hours so strap in and there's you know nothing on this movie's mind except uh, making you happy and escapist and it fucking worked with the exact same material so it was yeah. kind of a free guy uh, red notice experience all over again to watch these two movies from 1962 that had uh, essentially the same effect on me and when you want a thing and all the things are very similar, you know, I want a crawler, I want a fucking bear claw. Well, a crawler and a bear claw are very different. That's true. And Red Notice and Free Guy, they're not that different. No. You know, they still got flying cars that you're shooting somebody out of the window from and then landing on your tires even though you went upside down and uh, this kind of thing, you know. Mm hmm Either works or it doesn't. And, uh, and, and, and I wonder about uh, taste, you know? Is it my fault? Is it just what I'm bringing to the thing? Is Free Guy actually bad and Red Notice is well, underappreciated? That's, that's what I was wondering because, you know, when I was talking to, uh, to Steve and Steve yeah. about Free Guy, I was like, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that. And they were like, what? And they, they did not like it. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. I don't know if it's possible to know. No, now, but they, like and things affect us. There's there's all the baggage we bring to whatever we watch, and then there's also you know 
the moment in which we're watching it and and everything else. Yeah, it's, and, it, and, and, I, and I, you can see one thing. Like that's why I revisit old ass movies that I thought weren't funny because maybe yes. I was wrong because oh sometimes I am rediscovering something that you shit canned and 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 suddenly revering it and watching it twice you know because he thought it was so good when you rediscovered it that's one of the great gifts it's one of the things that keeps us humble it's one of the things that that keeps us when we make grand pronouncements it keeps us from uh, taking ourselves too seriously because we know that you know i may hate free guy in a couple of weeks i don't know well yeah years, exactly i mean the opposite happens too you go and revisit something you thought was great and you're we're like talking, what? we're talking about context here uh just this week i read an article uh about there's this uh, dutch gallery or museum that's going to do uh the biggest vermeer show ever Mm-hmm. They're going to try and get every Vermeer that can travel. They know about 130 Vermeers. And so they're, uh, or maybe it's 30. I guess it's more like 30. It's not very many. And uh, they, uh, the last time it was like 1980 something, and, and they only got, uh, uh, I don't know, 18 of them into one gallery. And, and this time they're going to try and, and so they pulled from uh, the National Gallery in America, they pulled from all over Europe, and, and they, they're, they're going to have 20 something Vermeers on display next to each other on the same couple of walls. Mm-hmm. And the uh, article I read was how difficult it is to do that because no museum wants to loan out their fucking, you know, $100 million painting. But the... Because that's what they fucking cost now. It's insane. And these things are deteriorating and they're 500 years old and, you know... They don't they're travel not, they're well. not going to last forever. It's certainly even in one place and they certainly don't want to travel very much. And so this is probably the last time this is going to happen. And the point is that seeing them together, when you're researching them, because the museum director was off his head, he's so ecstatic that uh, all these places responded and he's actually, you know, receiving all these shipments of fucking Vermeers. And one of the greatest painters in the world is going to be seen side by side with himself uh, in almost his entire oeuvre for probably the last time. And one of the problems with researching art, he said, and studying art, is that you see a thing in a museum and you study the fuck out of it and you get it in the right light and sometimes they let you touch it, sometimes they let you scrape it and whatever. And then you get on an airplane and you eat some shitty meal and you get in the taxi and then you see the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have to be, because the difference uh, in context is, is tremendous. You know, looking at something in the same blink with its partner piece right. and 50 others is very different. Yeah, for sure. And that, uh, I was struck by the humanity of this statement that this art researcher, you know, this doctor of, of uh, the, the art of looking at art said, it's fucking hard if they're not right next to each other, just like you. Right. Just like anybody else. You know, the, the, there's not an equation for that. There's not an algorithm. He says the algorithm essentially doesn't work for that. Not nearly as well as looking at these things together. Right. And uh, I feel that way about, you know, especially since uh, after the pandemic, you know, uh, we've, we've watched almost all our movies for a year at home, you know, and, and controlling that circumstance for me is everything. I hate going to a movie theater because I can't control the circumstance. Somebody's going to talk, there's going to be light. You know, there's going to be somebody on the phone and, and at home. I can set up what I hope will be the optimum experience for me, mm-hmm. the one that I want. But you like going to the movies. Uh, which one do you like better, especially after the last year? 
going to the movies or going to the movies or watching them on your 400 inch uh, uh, I think I like watching them at home now because you know going to the movies there was always aggravations with going to the movies you know uh, pre-pandemic it was people yapping or looking at their phone or like letting their kids run rampant mm-hmm. um, all of those annoyances you know people chewing too loudly or <laughs> whatever the right. fuck were things that like you could for- forgive as part of the experience but now I go just like I go to the grocery store and I see three people not wearing masks uh, and they're not actively eating or drinking and uh, makes you want to go home yeah makes me want to go home where it's safe uh, so I, I think I like it more here. But I have an idea. What I'd like to do, thinking about that art installment, is get you in a room with like a shitload of TVs, all the Kevin Bacon's movies. <laughs> at the same time. At the same time. Okay, at the same time, I could handle <laughs> If it was one after another, I would say no. no it's I, all at I would once. reject the proposition. I would do that. The I would things totally next do that. to each other. That would be an astonishing And then you minutes. can point and you're like, okay, I believe that one. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> mm, no. Did you see The Woodman? Where he plays a um, child, no, child molester and gets woodsman, out of jail. Yeah, uh, never uh, saw that. And he... Or no, I did see that. He... Uh, I did see that. It's, it's... I don't think I liked it. It's not very good. It's a terrible play made into a even somehow worse movie. Uh, by, because they tried to fix what was wrong with the play, which was structure. It just didn't have any be- middle. It didn't have any beginning. Uh, and this movie attempts to give it a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it just exposes the weakness of the writing. And then they put Kevin Bacon in it. And <laughs> Kyra Sedgwick, I think, is the is the uh, love interest in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who just straight up doesn't give a shit that he molested children at some point. Which is fine. And I'm not saying she should. I mean, that's the world. What are you going to do? Some people are flawed. Uh, I mean, they let him out of the jail. I think think at some point she goes, they let you out, so you're fine, right? And he goes, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, that's a part for an hour, but it's not very well written. And the best they could do, the best they could do, and I don't think it was a subject matter. This is a shit project. But the best they could do was Kevin Bacon, and I think that's just a... Just a just a perfect tragic. I'm not saying it's happy. I'm not saying it's good. I'm, I'm not saying I have anything against him, but I think that's a perfect encapsulation of the Kevin Bacon experience. He gets what Kevin Bacon can get, which is probably not very good material that doesn't. Uh, but he gets a lot of it. He ain't poor. I mean, if you if 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 you feel like the bottom of your barrel is Kevin Bacon, I tell you, he's a lot less annoying as he gets older because he looks. Less, I just found him. I hate to be so shallow. I found him uh, physically unappealing as as a youngster. I just was like, ah, this guy is ugly. Well, maybe you should go uh, see his band and see maybe if the music turns you around. If I'm on a mission to appreciate <laughs> the things in the world that I think are just kind of mediocre and not really to my taste. Uh, I don't know that I, I don't know that 2021 is the year to start with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> maybe I should go after Kevin Hart. <laughs> maybe. You know, maybe maybe I should look at uh, some woman whose work that I've thought not eh, big a deal. Who who? Well, you know, with women it's easy cuz you can't remember even seeing them. If you <laughs> it's tragic for men, you know, and it's one of the great uh, uh, benefits of the Me Too era is that uh, you can't say shit like uh, who 
Who? <laughs> Who? You know, Jeff uh, uh, had uh, worked for that agent, uh, not an agent, a casting director for uh-huh. a long time in Burbank. And uh, uh, I, uh, I went to her office like three or four times for, uh, for auditions, uh, you know, and, I, and I, 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 I met her at parties like three or four times, you know, mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, she got me jobs, you know. Uh, I liked her. And uh, I met her at a party once. And I said, uh, hey, so how do you know Jeff? And she said, this is the third time <laughs> you've said that to me. <laughs> and uh, this is tragic because, uh, honestly, the fact is uh, uh, I probably didn't see her as a, as a, a potential sexual partner, you know? Oh, uh, so you didn't remember So I didn't remember her face. I didn't remember her voice. I didn't remember her name. Even though this was somebody who was responsible for, you know, a significant percentage of the fucking professional work I had got in Los Angeles where I moved to get professional work as an actor and I can remember her fucking name or her face. <laughs> and this is, uh, you know, this is, this is one of the things that, that Dustin Hoffman is crying about in that famous video from a couple of years ago where he talks about when you're... Did you ever see this thing? Nah. He, he some interview, and he, he just fucking goes full... He, he has almost a meltdown. He's crying so hard, and he's like, this is... Uh, I just realized, he said, you know, in my old age, that uh, I ignored about half of the population. You know, the, the ones I didn't want to fuck... I don't know their names. I don't remember their faces. I didn't have any uh, interaction with them. I just shut them out. Because if it was a woman and she wasn't bringing me a great script or, or uh, you know, producing my movie or sucking my cock, I don't give a fuck. And yeah. so I missed out. And I'm old now. And he's crying. And he's like, I, I missed out on all this. And this is, this is slightly pre-Me Too. But it was, uh, it was this amazing kind of uh, revelation that he had uh, that, he, that he shared in the middle of this weird uh, emotional interview. And uh, I've had a very, very similar experience. Uh, I, I have to be uh, very conscious of uh, taking people for real, you know, and not trying to build an agenda around my, especially my first meeting with somebody, you know. I tend to, to try to create... Uh, yeah, a certain narrative, certain certain dialogue. Sure. I, well, I think that uh, that comes with maturity and age. I think uh, when we're younger, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, you we, know, we for, get blinded by our our, our hunger, desire, and I'm fucking and fifty. All. I know that's too old. <laughs> yeah, you know, Dustin Hoffman apparently didn't realize it until he was seventy. Well, I'm takes... fucking Jesus, you know, and, and and you can say intellectually, well, okay, I'll try try harder, I'll do better, I'll be a a, a more uh, 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 you know honest and genuine person. I'll be I'll be more present. Uh, I'll look at people that I don't want to fuck and and try to take them seriously in what they say. I'll watch their mouths move and I'll I'll, I'll listen. Yeah, it's, it's, I I feel that it is. Uh, dramatically tragically late to have these thoughts you know over the last couple of years that i've been having about whole swaths of my personality and how i present it to the world well but you know maybe you're late maybe you're not maybe it's normal part of uh growing even though you're not physically uh growing anymore but you're still you're still mentally changing reduce it to uh a you know 
continuation of the species sort of urge, right? Let's mm. say it's just, well, Jason, you're just, uh, you know, this thing that wants to propagate, and, you know, that's normal, and that's, 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 that's simian, mm. you know? It's mammalian. Mm. It's, uh, uh, it, it, it makes sense uh, that you just uh, fuck all the time, and uh, that you're <laughs> looking to fuck all the time. And because I had a lot of early experience with sex, uh, and it, you know, formed a lot of my personality there in the late teens, when when you really uh, start start to decide who you are and what your capacities are, uh, it, yeah, perhaps you know because of that, it took longer for me to uh, try to grow into an actual human being. And I think, I, and I think that oh well, evolutionarily, uh, you know, uh, ten generations ago, uh, nobody lived to be my age. You know, hard. Yeah, that's and, true. And, so and maybe fifty it's... generations ago, you know, we were just banging each other's heads against a wall. We did, there was not yeah, a lot. Yeah, and of, then we died. Uh, so we didn't need to have any kind of enlightenment about what assholes we were. Yeah, but that's you know, yeah. I have to go pick up a child at a school. Oh man! Oh man! Um, Get on that. So let's say goodbye. Uh, tell Colby I love him and uh, say it to your lovely wife, your whole family, your mother-in-law. I just want you all guys uh, to be to be happy and safe because uh, if Me I don't too, see you before Christmas. And, Corey. Uh, and everybody listening, that was a hundred episodes of this thing. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Baby, won't you tell me what's on your mind?